Hello and welcome to another episode of the Cambridge American History Seminar podcast. Uh, thanks for listening to the fourth episode in our series of brief conversations with academics who come to present at our weekly seminar. We hope you enjoy it. I'm Lewis DeFreitz, I'm a PhD student at Sydney Sussex College here in Cambridge and today I'm very happy to be speaking to Catherine or Kate Carte, an Associate Professor of History at Southern Methodist University in Dallas, Texas. Kate is a historian of early America and the Atlantic world with a focus on religious communities and their relationship to political and economic change. Her first book, Religion and Profit, Moravians in Early America, was published by University of Pennsylvania Press in 2009 and won the 2010 Dale W. Brown Book Award for Outstanding Scholarship in Anabaptist and Pietist Studies. More recently, her work has concentrated on the role of the American Revolution in transforming international Protestant networks and communities. Last year, the chapter Descent in the Atlantic World After the American Revolution was published in the edited collection The Oxford History of Protestant Dissenting Traditions, Volume 2, published on Oxford University Press. And just this past January, her article Connecting Protestant in Britain's 18th Century Atlantic Empire was published in William and Mary Quarterly. Kate, thanks very much for joining me today. Thank you. So we're going to talk a little bit about your paper, uh, a bit about the broader project and your wider research, and a little bit more about your experiences as a historian and as a person. So your paper today is mysteriously titled Religion Transformed. It's a pre-circulated paper, so members of the seminar have already read it, but could you give a brief synopsis for the listeners of the podcast? Well, so this paper is a piece from a book on the American Revolution, and it is about um, the collapse of the transatlantic Protestant system that existed before the American Revolution, the system that was in the British Empire. And this chapter is looking specifically at how right after the war, in the period between 1783 and about 1789, how right after the war people on both sides of the Atlantic struggled to build what they could build, to find what they could find that still existed, and to really insert um, the new national boundary into transatlantic religious mm. community. So what what groups in particular uh, was it that this new national boundary were affecting? Well, so the, the groups that I talk about here um, on, I look at, I look at two kinds of things. One is looking at transatlantic um, networks of, um, of Protestants. So the people who had been running missionary societies and um, various kinds of, of religious projects during the war. And by Protestants there, what I mean are members of the Church of England um, and then all of the um, sort of major dissenting groups from, um, from the British side. So Presbyterians, Congregationalists, um, or Independents, as they're called here, and then um, Baptists. So those four denominations together really dominated the transatlantic Protestant system. Um, and they had, during the colonial period, built a whole series of these missionary societies and, and you know, tract societies and, um, and those kinds of systems. And that's what they have to figure out right after the war. The war had, had interrupted communications, of course, but it also was a big emotional event. The mm. two sides, you know, they were, they were killing each other, right? So after the war, they have to figure out in what circumstances are they going to continue to work together and in what circumstances are they not going to continue to work together? Um, part of that is a legal question because legal structures of religion are a big part of this. And so um, they have to kind of figure out, do they have the right to continue collaborating when they're not in the same political structure anymore? Mm. So that's a part of it too. Okay. And would you say um, that the impact of this new national boundary, is it well, I suppose you don't want to give too much away, but has, has it got uneven effects on different social and like religious groups? Um, 
That's a really good question. Um, it does have uneven effects in the sense that um, in the, the, the systems that had connected them all together had also had the impact of um, keeping out all kinds of groups. And so the, the, um, the colonial system of religious authority and religious community had been very limited just to those groups that I talked about. And it had limited religious authority, kind of recognized religious authority, to um, very specific, to white men who were educated in universities, basically, sure, yeah. right? And so the collapse of that system does... Um, uh, create opportunities for some people, um, particularly people of color in North America, to kind of seize control of um, of some um, positions that they would they would before have been um, uh, excluded from. It also has the consequence of um, withdrawing a lot of support for missionary work. So people who had been benefiting from some of that work um, lose out in that process. Right. And um, would you say that? Uh, so the war introduces the question of nationality to this religious work for the first mm -hmm. time. Do you agree with that? Absolutely. Well, let's think carefully about what we mean by nationality, right? So in the sense of a modern nation, mm -hmm. yes. So the war pushes Brits to see themselves as separate from Americans and Americans to see themselves as separate from Brits, right? And that has a lot of consequences for the religious work. But we should remember that the religious work that had been done in the 18th century was very much tied to a sense of British imperial mm -hmm. status. So that's not necessarily nationalism in a modern sense, but it was very political. And these communities were very political. They were always defined by the political structures that surrounded them. Okay. And would you say that... Um for the most part, uh, religious activists and missionaries in Britain suddenly feel this fracture with America, or is that not true across the board? I, that is true almost across the board. Okay. Um, there are very few exceptions of religious projects that continue. And in fact, what's really interesting is quite a few of these um, missionary societies land on New Brunswick in Canada as the place to go. So right. if they've got a kind of an American project, they can, New Brunswick is still in America, mm -hmm. right? They can move things to New Brunswick, but both dissenters and, um, and Anglicans move out of, um, out of the United States environment. Most part, right. Okay. That's fascinating. Uh, and looking at some of the other stuff you've published recently, it seems like this is following in somewhat of a trend. Could you talk about how this paper fits into your wider research or a broader project at the moment? Well, so the, the overall project is the story of how the American Revolution causes these changes. Mm -hmm. um, and what I really wanted to do was identify kind of specifically what it was about the American Revolution that pushed changes in the way religion was organized. And so what the project does is um, identify what that looks like in the colonial mm -hmm. period and then look at how religious communities responded to the various stages of the imperial crisis, you know, and then, and then really how they respond to the violence um, and how the experience of the war divides the American and the British communities and kind of sets the stage for what we've got here where the um, where they're kind of figuring out what it means that they've been divided. Yeah. And then once this old system has collapsed, at the end, I kind of look at what develops afterwards. So mm. um, part of the argument is that things like the abolition movement or the Baptist revivals that come in the 1790s, what we think of as kind of the religious energy and missionary work that starts in the 1790s, that that's really a consequence of the American Revolution having destroyed this previous order. Yeah, the previous infrastructure of it, right, yeah. And it seems... To me, at least, uh, one of the strengths of the paper was it, this fracture and this break is something that I think people are tacitly aware of generally, but uh, one thing that you really do is go into detail and look at how it's impacted these individual groups. Um, 
Was there a particular group that set you off interested in this topic? You know, so um, you mentioned in the introduction that I had worked before on the Moravians, and it was actually the Moravians are a really interesting sort of sideways route into this question because the Moravians, um, they're a German Protestant group, they're early movers in what we think of as the awakening or early evangelical movement. They're all over the place so that you would think that they would be deeply connected to all of these transatlantic religious projects. And the fact is they weren't. They were really systematically excluded. Um, But not for any particularly good reason. There weren't theological differentiations between them and the other groups. There, the, um, it was really a, a more cultural and political divide than anything else. And so having watched the Moravians try so desperately to get into the club and not be able to got me really interested in what that club looked like. And the more I started thinking about what Protestantism was, right? It's a really vague term. There isn't a Protestant church per se. There isn't one Protestant church. So um, it's a word that the more you think about it, the more it kind of slips through your fingers. And um, when I started thinking about it, I got really curious about who would be considered within Protestant community and um, who and and, um, at what time various groups would be excluded. And then that's why I got really interested in the French alliance that the Americans make during the American Revolution. And if Protestantism was such a big deal, which is something we get from lots of scholarships, then um, how did the French alliance yeah. happen, right? Mm-hmm. How, how did religious communities, you know, obviously we know why political communities were interested in it, but how did religious communities feel about it? Sure. Um, so those were, those were my roots in. Yeah, fantastic. Right, so I suppose you've answered the question about how it uh, links into your current work and wider research. Uh, yeah, I suppose we might move on to speaking more generally. What's a book or an article that you've read in the last uh, 12 months or in any recent time that's got you excited? You know, that's a great question. And I think um, in terms of something that's pretty close to my own work, um, I just finished Catherine Gerbner's new book, which just came out from University of Pennsylvania Press, which is called Christian Slavery. Mm-hmm. And she looks at um, the development of... Um, the way that religious leaders uh, contributed to developing the systems of slavery. Um, She looks at something she calls Protestant supremacy, um, and then the development of kind of racial justifications for slavery. Um, And that's a fascinating book. Yeah, sounds brilliant. So before we started recording, we were talking about uh, you being over in the UK doing some research in Windsor at the moment. Mm -hmm. Uh, What's the most interesting place that you've been for research across your career? This project has been so much fun in terms of research because um, the sort of the underlying um, research, uh, research for the project is to to look at transatlantic correspondence relating to religion, and so that correspondence is in archives all around um, what we then call what we call the Atlantic world. Obviously, that's not what we call it now. Um, and, uh, and so I've been in lots of, of really interesting archives. But I think actually one of my favorites was here in Cambridge. When early on in the project, I um, spent a summer uh, working both in the Cambridge University Library and also in the um, library at Westminster College, working um, there with the Countess of Huntington's papers. And the archivist there is just absolutely lovely, Helen yeah. Weller. And it was just a, a wonderful project, wonderful place to work. Brilliant. Well, thanks for the ego boost in that regard as well. Good to hear we're doing something right. Uh, just to close out, what's your favourite album of all time? So I don't think I don't have a favourite album okay. of all time, but Everyone I will tell you, favorite. right? Well, because it changes, right? Yeah. And but I will say that in the last um, last month or so, I have been having a blast revisiting uh, Peter Gabriel's Us, uh, which I loved when it came out because mm-hmm. I'm old yeah. and uh, am loving again now. Brilliant album. It is. Yeah. It is. Great. Well, thanks very much, Kate. Uh, we're looking forward to talking about the paper later on. And 
yeah, really excited to see how this turns into a broader project. It sounds Thank fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. Great. Thanks very much.